1: G'day and welcome to The Call on Ausbiz. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Tuesday, the 11th of January. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great that you can join us. Well, let us introduce our guests for this hour. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool and Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Happy New Year to both of you. Now, of course, um, Scott, quite a bit around to concerned investors at
2: the moment. Um, what are you more concerned about, COVID or inflation? Oh, good question. G'day, Andrew, and g'day, Howard. G'day okay, viewers. Um, it's good to be with you. Look, it's a really tough one. I have to say, mate, that I, I'm i I am the optimist, generally speaking, and I am mindful that probably a couple of times last year, I probably said, okay, we won't be around for too much longer. And again, here we are at the beginning of 2022, and I'm inclined to say the same thing. So if you think about the long-term value of assets, think about what's most likely to impact them, then I'm far more interested in, in inflation. As long as you're talking about the stocks... That you, you know specifically talking about, right? So if you, you can buy the wrong stocks at the wrong price, and if you're buying on a on a COVID high or a COVID low, depending on the company, you want to be a little bit careful what you're assuming. But if you think about the broader long-term earnings potential of the businesses we're looking at and the cost of the assets themselves, inflation is far far more important because it's more likely touch wood to hang around for longer than COVID itself should. All right, Howard, what are your thoughts there in that regard? Particularly,
1: I guess you know we're still trying to get through COVID at this point, but we've got that spectre of inflation at the same time?
0: Yeah, I think we're going to find that the same as uh, we've had one or two companies today confess that they haven't done as well because of COVID uh, disrupting supply chains. I think we'll see a lot more of that, but I'm with Scott. Um, that's a temporary hiccup for uh, companies that are well-run businesses and that are in, uh, you know, have good earnings growth over the years. Um, the bigger concern from an investor point of view is inflation. We've had over the last five years or so, PE ratios for pretty much anything getting higher and higher and higher. And that's been because interest rates have been getting lower and lower and lower. Now that interest rates are likely to turn in the US probably before Australia, but it'll affect us here too, um, that's going to mean that you're going to have to be even more selective in what you buy. The companies that that have strong moats Um, that can increase, as Warren Buffett would say, that can increase their prices without having a prayer meeting first. Um, (laughs) They won't be harmed by inflation. But all those companies that uh, literally have to have a prayer meeting before they can increase prices because they're so worried their customers will stop buying from them, they're going to be hugely damaged by inflation. Mm. Uh, Higher interest rates will cause PEs to come down. And that means you've got to be even more selective in the businesses you own and make sure that they're really strong
1: well you mentioned those companies of course being hurt by covid at the moment now inghams is one it is our stock of the day falling down the pecking order today after reporting unprecedented challenges due to the surge in omicron the company's saying all of its sites were experiencing significantly lower levels of staffing availability, which was impacting operations and performance of the group. However, it does expect its production capacity to recover quickly to meet demand and is implementing initiatives to minimise the impacts of COVID. Uh, the market not taking kindly to that update shares off more than 7% at the moment. So what do our experts think, Howard? Ingham's chicken? Winner, a winner, a chicken dinner? Maybe not in this case.
0: Oh, well, we can enjoy their products, but it doesn't mean we have to own their shares. Um, Looking at the um, company itself, as opposed to the products that they produce, um, the uh, debt-to-equity ratio is enormous, way, way beyond anything that would pass our filters. And their return on equity is incredibly high, which is normally something we would like. But if you look at those two things together what it really says is they've got very very little equity on their balance sheet an enormous amount of debt and very little equity so it's not a company that any of our team invest members would give more than a glance to they'd see that debt to equity figure the debt to market cap figure and they would shudder and say too much risk um we'd rather be invested somewhere else after all you really only want about 20 companies maybe 25 in your portfolio, you can afford to be fussy.
1: All right. Scott, do you want more chicken on the menu?
2: <laughs> I remember <laughs> the old ads, Andrew uh, used to be Ingham's chicken, love them, and uh, that sticks in my head. It's a tough one. Um, right now, Howard is exactly right. This is a moderately growing business with a whole lot of debt. Look, yeah, staples businesses can tend to carry more debt than non-staples businesses. And there are two ways to look at this. The first is how it says is, is this one of your best, you know, 15, 20, 25 ideas? The other is, is it likely to beat the market? So, you know, is it a buy from that perspective? After all, companies that are beating the market? That's in theory. Otherwise, you buy the index, right? So that, that's the other way to look at it. I think the challenge with Ingham's is, so twofold. The fall today seems to be completely overdone. If you believe management and we can choose to believe them or not believe them, then this is COVID related specifically. Now, I remember uh, you have to tell me, Jeremy Siegel it was uh, on CNBC in the US who said at the beginning of the pandemic, if every company's earnings in the US fell to zero for 12 months and then went back to normal in the year after that shares should fall no more than 10%. The discount of cash flow, if you work it forward, that was, his, that was his estimate of what they should have fallen. Now, if you look at Ingham's and say, well, hang on, shares are down 7.5%-ish, is that a permanent destruction of value? Or is the COVID blip, as management says, a temporary problem they're going to fix? If it is, and you like the company yesterday, you should like it even more today because you've been given a discount. You're getting a chance to buy it for 7.5% less than it cost yesterday when the future, other than maybe the next couple of months, should be, if management's right, as good as it ever was. And so there's a really different way of thinking about these things. I do agree with Howard more broadly, though. It's not one of the better businesses on the ASX in my mind, simply because it doesn't have the growth potential, it doesn't have the economies of scale or the returns on capital or investment or equity that you would want necessarily to make it one of the top echelon businesses. So, look, if you wanted a a business like this in your portfolio, you wanted some more stability, you wanted a bit of cash flow that wasn't related to just a bank or something else, I can imagine people jumping for it. The other part, unfortunately, if you look at the financials, is they've been all over the place in a good way recently. But the problem is on, on balance, it looks like a P of six times earnings, if you believe, or not know if you believe, if you use the most recently reported numbers. The problem is they were more than double the previous year. So it's something closer to 12 or 15 times earnings based on the previous year's earnings. And like all companies, you should look forward rather than backwards and say, what does the future look like? Nowhere near enough certainty, nowhere near enough growth for me to take that risk, so I wouldn't buy it either.
1: Okay, so that's pretty much an avoid then from both. That is Ingham's. All right. Well, let's say get into it with uh, stocks picked by you. The first one coming to us is Virtus Health. Jack wanting to know about this. um, And I should mention it is in the portfolio. Now, it's assisted reproductive services company um, did have uh, expression of interest for a potential buyout from BGH Capital. And then it forced, then itself, it um, abandoned plans to buy Adora Fertility from Helios. Um, Scott,
2: how do you look at Verta South? Yeah, this is another tough one because of that takeover. I'll call it a takeover premium that's in the price. This is a $5 stock before the takeover was mooted, announced, rumored, discussed. Um, these, these things are always un- non-binding and indicative until they actually happen. So, uh, use whatever adjectives you want to. Basically, it was a five-dollar stock. Now it's a seven-dollar stock. It's a little bit below that now, I think. From memory, um, I'll plot it up quickly. It, it's a so so. A lot of the expectations are already in the price. Six sixty-five. There you go. It's come back a little bit. A lot of the expectations are already in the price. And that makes it difficult now for us it's a hold we, we have it as a recommendation of Multifill share advisor it's a hold on that service so I'll, I'll lead with the headline um it, i really like the business i think it's a really stable good cash flow business there's no real likelihood of the customers going away anytime soon there was some threat from cheaper competitors that it seems to have seen off um it's a really bumpy business believe it or not though in the short to medium term because the absolute numbers of fertility treatments it provides is in the thousands so if you think about Woolies selling millions of products a week Virtus provides thousands of of services a year it's a very very difficult one to try and put a single number and say that's what's going to happen in the next three or six or 12 months so you've got to accept business volatility just because you get that sort of volatility in just low absolute numbers of anything so that's really important longer term though really solid stable business I expect it to grow slowly because we're all having kids later the number of fertility services it provides almost by definition is likely to grow moderately It has got some growth potential in Singapore and Ireland in particular, and potentially wider Europe, though I wouldn't put a lot of value on that one specifically. So I like the underlying business, really stable, reliable business. At $6.65, I don't know the value is obviously there. Um, Again, some of those things you're getting were free options at $5. Now you're kind of paying for them uh, because Mm. the growth expectation has been bumped up a little bit. So I like the business. I'd happily hold it if I own shares. We have it as a whole, as I said, at the moment. So that's just our our current view. I I won't deviate from that one. Mm. Um, At a higher price, we'd probably take the takeover offer, quite frankly. If it fell back to a lower price, absent that takeover premium, we'd probably take it back to buy because it's pretty good value at $5 or $6. Uh, Current price, we'd probably say a hold is about right.
1: Okay, Virtus Health, a stable business, says Scott. How do you
0: agree? Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that really bothers me is how stable. Um, We like stable (laughs) businesses that are growing stably. In other words, the percentage growth each year remains roughly the same, hence stable. This one's stable with no growth. If you look back all the way to 2014, it made $31 million profit in 2014, 32 million in 2015, 33 million in 2016, so that looked quite good. Then 31 million again in 27, 31 million in 28, 30 million in 29, and then in 20 and 21, it strangely made 20 million in 20 and 41 and a half in 21. Add the two together and divide by two, it's the same 30 million a year. So since 2014 (laughs) onwards, it's made exactly the same amount of money every year in a market which as scott points out you'd expect to be growing you'd expect it to be growing for two reasons number one um we're having uh, society overall is having children later in life hence more need for uh, uh, fertility clinics uh, secondly more need for pathology as uh, uh, people are getting older at the other end of the scale and they're supposedly growing internationally yet from 2014 to 2021 they've made almost exactly the same amount of money every year. Now, the problem at the moment is with PE ratios overall throughout the world quite high, although this one's not on a particularly high PE. Um, With interest rates rising, will people be prepared to pay the same money for the exact same amount of earnings when interest rates are higher? And I'd say no. So while most of its metrics other than that look quite good and stable, um, to me, it looks significantly overpriced, and share price more likely to drop than rise in the foresee you know, in the next few years. So, a no from me. But it, the business is not a bad-looking business. It looks quite right. good. It's just going right. nowhere.
1: You say it's a no. Is it a sell?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, we would own it in Team Invest members. I wouldn't think. I wouldn't think any of our members own it. Um, probably not. I mean, if you if you already own it yep. uh, and you're comfortable with it, maybe hang on to it. But Uh, i i would think you you're likely in a few years time to be able to buy it cheaper than you can buy it now
1: okay the reason i ask that is because it is in the portfolio so at this point it stays in the portfolio all right let's move on uh pinnacle investments the global investment management firm of course we know a lot of these firms have done so well during the course of the pandemic given the number of investors that have piled into the market meg wanting to know uh, it's pulled back recently but has it been a great but it has been a great stock and has been mentioned and highlighted on the call
0: in the past howard what do you think of pinnacle yeah look a good business um but we always have to remember with all these uh, fund management type businesses and it's earning money from a, a large number i think the 18 different boutique fund managers um they tend to do well when the market is rising and they're getting performance fees and to do particularly poorly when performance fees become less likely to be earned because the market's dropping. Now, um, the share price ran up enormously. It went from, uh, in the past year, from uh, $6.80 as a low for the year to $19.29 in a high for the year. It's now come down to about 13. That's still, um, from a team invest perspective, pretty expensive because it's on a PE ratio of 37 based on an excellent year of earnings when everybody was earning performance fees so in this coming year it doesn't expect to earn as much in performance fees it's actually said so to the market uh, for the half year it earned less in performance fees than the corresponding half year last year um its share price at 1321 or so uh, just looks too high i mean uh, return on equity is good it's got uh, minimal debt it's uh, Earnings have been growing, but uh, you know uh, it, it, I think Team Invest members would be quite comfortable buying it if it got down below 10. So we think it's a terrific company, just too expensive at the moment.
1: Okay. Um, Scott, do you, you think it's too expensive?
2: I think so. I, I'll echo most of what Howard said about the quality of the business. You, you, you know, Fund managers are great businesses. If you think about, if you expect over the long term, the market to rise as it has uh, with 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 fall with pullbacks with, with volatility for the last century and a half, close enough to. Um, if you believe that's likely to continue, and I do, if you're making money on a as a, as a commission as a percentage of the equity market value, then funds management should do pretty well. It should go growing at least as quickly at a top line level in terms of those fees as the market. And if you can hold your costs in line, you should be able to bring some operating leverage to bear. Now, two things playing against it. The first is that. Those fees will come under pressure as more and more people enter the market as passive investing, ETF-based investing, continues to grow. So those fees as a percentage, the percentage fees, will come under some sort of pressure. So there's that. But over time, you'd expect that to be a net positive for fund managers generally. On top of that, and you've got to work out, have you got the right fund manager? In other words, are they have got funds flowing in? rather than out. And we've seen Magellan going the other way recently. And then do they earn those performance fees as Howard mentions over time? When I look at fund managers, I tend to kind of exclude the performance fees, I have to say, um, because firstly, these things tend to be mean reverting. But secondly, you just simply don't know what the future is going to hold. How well will the fund managers as in the people, not the businesses? How well will the portfolio managers do? Will they leave the business? So you kind of, you're assuming a lot if you try and extrapolate too far. So generally speaking, I tend to take the, the, the funds under management, the, the management fee, and then discount back the performance fee somewhat, depending on the business. And it's not a, it's not a, it's, a, it's an art rather than a science. But you try and work out what sort of more reasonable on an ongoing basis, and how much you're paying for that. Again, I come down exactly in Howard's camp on price. It just seems a little bit too expensive. Pinnacle and Magellan are my two favoured fund managers in the space, uh, but I think Pinnacle's probably too expensive given the numbers Howard's talked about. You have to believe if performance fee is going to be lower, then either it's going to go back up you need to recalibrate your expectations based on that. I think the price is just a little bit too much to pay. Mm. Do, you, do
1: you hold it if you do own it?
2: Ooh, uh, I mean, if you hold it, you're probably owning it for other reasons other than pure value. Maybe you've got some specific faith in the business. Maybe you you like what they're doing, how they And by the way, I do like what they're doing. The, the purchasing and management of boutique funds is a really super smart way of doing it. They're effectively internally diversifying, which is really, really great. I like that a lot. If you're mm. gonna buy a single investment, you want it to be internally diversified. So that's positive. Would I sell it? Probably not outright, but 36-ish times zones are getting pretty pricey. Yep. Uh, I wouldn't argue with someone who said, I've made some money, I'm going to sell. I probably wouldn't rush to the exits. I tend to hold, I, I, I try and, as I, I say generally, uh, I try and buy slowly and sell even more slowly. So if I owned it and I bought it for the right reason, I believe the quality was there, I'd probably hang on but it's pretty much line ball. I wouldn't complain if anyone decided to sell and take the money.
1: Yeah, maybe a lightened then as far as Pinnacle Investments is concerned. All right, let's uh, head across the ditch now. Mercury New Zealand. Brendan wanting to know about this. It is a Kiwi electricity generator uh, and a retailer very much in hydro generation. Uh, and in fact, um, powering Australian renewables and Mercury uh, acquired Aussie renewable uh, power producer Tilt renewables um, recently Scott how do you see this one
2: so I really don't love the energy generational retailing space and I have to say these are hyper competitive industries where there is almost zero pricing power the commodity itself is traded on the market on an internal market regularly um, there's not a lot of room for price growth there's not a huge amount of room for volume growth in fact things are becoming more and more efficient over time uh, and particularly if you're, if you're old power generation, i.e. coal or something similar, and you're coming under the threat from renewables, um, again, the trend is going their own way for you. Really hard to find much to like about this category at all. Uh, the, on top of that, this is the old mighty river, trading at 53 times earnings dividend yield of 1.9%. Um, it's a really tough one to, to love. I, I kind of it's a, it's a, going to be a relatively stable operating business over the long term with volatility as always um so again if you're kind of diversifying and you want some exposure in this space i guess it's not the worst one to go with but you can tell by my words i'm i'm really desperately trying to find a reason to be positive about this one i just think that the category is not going to give you good returns in fact the return on equity is something like four or five percent which is just terrible um so i, I don't know i don't know if it's necessarily where capital goes to die uh, but it's certainly not a great way to invest your money I really would struggle to justify holding this one so if I owned it. I'd sell.
1: Gee, where capital goes to die.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> um,
1: How? are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much exactly where Scott is. That it's not a sector that fills me with any enthusiasm. They're selling a commodity. <laughs> it's an area under enormous disruption. Returns on equity from all these companies are really low. I mean. Oh. Uh, this company's had ten years in a uh, 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 that oh, sorry it's eight years that I can see, uh, three six no nine years that I can see on my software, and it's never once had a decent return on equity. It's been in the threes, fours, fives, and sixes, and return on equity then puts a cap on what you can make out of a business. You can't in the long term earn a greater return long term than the return on equity. So if the return on equity is averaging less than five. The very best you can hope to receive in returns, dividends, capital gains in the long term is about five. So the only time to buy anything like this is when the market absolutely hates it, the share price has collapsed and Team Invest members don't really look for weak businesses. Um, We look for strong businesses and wait for the market to dislike those. So uh, like Scott, uh, if, if, if if anybody spoke to me and said they owned it, I'd say find something better to do with your money all right that's a
1: pretty damning indictment there of mercury <laughs> new zealand all right let's uh, move on now to bwx paul wanting to know about this bwx i always think of brickworks it's not in fact it's probably <laughs> the opposite if you think about it it's actually personal care products yes. uh, and um in fact uh, bell potter has a buy rating of six dollars ten uh, price target on it uh has been expanding its uh, uh, footprint in the natural beauty and wellness market. It's uh, currently at uh, $4.38. Howard?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a bit hard to get enthusiastic about this company. It's also got very low return on equity. I mean, the last three years, the return on equity has been 3.9%, 5.1% and 4.7%. So you're not going to get great returns by owning this business unless some, by some miracle they can change that. The earnings also haven't really been growing. I mean, uh, uh, 2021 earnings were slightly lower than 2020, and both of them were considerably lower than 2017 and 2018. So the earnings are going the wrong way. The return on equity is low. Hasn't got much debt, so that's at least a good thing. Um, PE ratio is quite high at 37. Um, The graph to me looks like the sort of a graph that could easily continue in that same direction, that share price graph. Um, for a goodly while longer, until that PE got a long way lower than where it is now. When you look at the rest of the metrics, so um, now nah, um, team invest members would look at this and say, "Move on. We're spending any time on."
2: Okay, and avoid, Scott. Yep. I'm not going to be so negative, but I can't give you a buy just yet, Andrew. On this one, this is the one we've had on the share advisor scorecard since 2017. So we've lived through most of that time that How was just explained, and unfortunately. This is a business that had all of the promise in the world and was performing really, really well, and then just massively fell over its own feet. Uh, we know back in the day, 2018, I think it was, um, management decided to effectively quit and join the private equity bid for the business to take it private. That didn't work. A US expansion kind of came to, if not nothing, at least, um, it was a pretty underwhelming performance. And as Howard mentioned, the last three years have been really, really ordinary. So you've got this situation where you've got this great brand, the Sukin brand that plenty of your viewers uh, will know, like, and probably use, if not, It'll be in a chemist or a cupboard near them. Um, so this is, a, it, it's a business that, you know, to some degree, really, we talk about diversification. I right? said diversification. They decided to get big, to go overseas, to buy more brands. Uh, hindsight is always 2020, 20, and that was clearly a mistake. Had they just stuck with a much smaller company with a single or couple of brands doing really, really well, they probably would have been a fantastic business today. The question for investors is, does it manage to dig itself out of this hole, or is it, as Howard says, condemned to continue a pretty middling, pretty mediocre performance? And I'm going to say right now, I don't know the answer to that. Nobody does. If we did, obviously, we'd all have a crystal ball. But even more than that, as again, as how it says, the performance isn't yet in the numbers. There is no clear sense that BWX is digging itself out of this hole. And that's the, that's the quandary for investors. The flip side uh, is that I don't think the shares are particularly expensive given the range of outcomes. But it is one of those situations where if you're someone who says, look, I want a, if not a slam dunk, I want a high probability outcome. BWX is not for you because it's very, very possible that on a PE of 30 today, the share price could half without profit moving. If the market simply decides, you know what? We don't believe the future is that bright. We want to give it a PE of 15, either share price halves or profit doubles, but the share price stays the same. Neither of those are particularly attractive. At the current price, the current PE, it needs to grow from here to justify that multiple. And the open question is, can it? And I wouldn't blame anybody for saying, I don't know what I'm getting out. As I said, it was a buy for us back in the day, pre that deal. It's been a hold for a long time since largely because the price has jumped back up. By the way, it got down to, I want to say about 2 bucks, I think. Um, So we've we've actually done reasonably well by holding rather than abandoning ship. But right now, with the price having come back up meaningfully, you are now in that pivot point of either you say, okay, there's not enough value there I'm getting out, or I hope, I'm waiting for, I'm expecting there to be a better future than the past. And that's probably the point where it's at now. Uh, In 12 months' time, I think we'll know one way or the other. I doubt it'll be on hold for us in 12 months uh maybe another six month period maybe a couple of halves we'll know whether management can actually do it or whether this is going to be one of those mediocre businesses that frankly just took a, took a great opportunity and squandered it uh, but for now at least and probably for the next few months I, I would expect at least until the next earnings season set of numbers it remains on hold okay that is a hold then for bwx
1: okay the next one um genetic signatures uh, evan saying this uh company of course makes COVID pcr test kits well we know What's going on there right now? That's among other medical test kits. Um, now, Evan's saying big tailwinds with COVID. Interested in the panel's opinion on its future and the metrics around evaluation. Scott?
2: So the metrics around evaluation are really, really difficult because this is a company that hasn't yet delivered an annual profit. And so you're in a situation where... You, you can't extrapolate or even no, extrapolate, just use past earnings to give some sort of indication of the future. The bigger challenge for me, even if it was profitable in the past, Andrew, is looking at the current circumstance. And, and look, it's exactly the right question. Hey, these guys are doing pretty well on COVID. Should I buy the shares? The, the, the $64 question is how long do we all require PCR or rapid antigen tests? Is this something that happens for the next three years and we go do it once a week for every workplace? Okay, that's one version of the future. If in two months' time, the whole population has been infected at one point or another, the epidemic, uh, so the pandemic part goes away and it remains endemic, uh, and we simply say, okay, we're now going to live with it, but don't bother testing because everyone's going to have it or get it or we're just going to live with it. Then all of a sudden, the growth you're seeing right now, the huge demand right now, goes to zero or goes to close enough to zero for that part of their business. And so you're really, the, the range of outcomes, if you were to say, let's, let's model something that says sales grow for the next three straight years, and the other one that says, let's assume sales fall for cliff in three months and then try and work out what the range of outcomes, what the range of potential prices would be for that asset. You would honestly have a number that's probably, uh, you know, almost, almost, almost triple digit percentages apart. It is that stark. And so, yes, there is a base business, it's not just a COVID business, but the amount of premium you should put in the share price because of that. And as you can see, the market's already decided to put basically a up to a 6X premium on that. Not again, not just because of COVID, but in part. Um, you are literally betting on what the future might bring in terms of testing. Even if you think you know, so think you know, not you know. If you think you know, you're still of a big, a big guess, right? Because if you're right, maybe the shares go to two, three, four, five dollars, and that's great. If you're wrong, maybe they go to 25 cents again. Um, and it's just one of those things where you're literally tossing a coin because no one can know the future. Even, even the people who can best guess, you're trying to work out how long the pandemic lasts, whether it becomes endemic what policy might be, what the public response to that policy might be. Uh, And there's so many ifs. And as you know, if you've done probability, even probability 101, when you try and compound those if statements, the chances of being right fall further and further and further, almost by orders of magnitude as you add more uncertainty. So this is one where you are literally guessing. Mm. uh, And if you want to speculate, if you want to have a guess, knock yourself out, I just don't think there's any basis to make a pure investment decision based on any reasonable assessment of the future with any level of confidence. So if I had the shares now, particularly if i bone them at 25 cents, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And again, maybe they go higher, so maybe you kick yourself if you sell today, but maybe if you sell today, they go lower from here and you're glad you did. Either way, you're being offered a pretty good price, I'd take it and run.
1: Okay, that is a sell for genetic
0: signatures, Howard. Yeah, much the same. I mean, my software shows that actually did make a profit this last year, but You know, making a profit once doesn't turn something into a good business. You want to know that it's Mm. going to be making a profit year after year after year. And like Scott, I mean, there are so many imponderables about whether or not this is going to make a profit in the future that uh, rather than spending your time trying to work out from the metrics, which is total nonsense, um, to try and put together a scenario that you think may give you a valuation, you'd be better off a bunch of potential valuations on a dartboard and throwing a dart at it and your probability of being right is probably equivalent Um, whichever number you happen to hit that could be the number that lands up being the right valuation that uh, you pinned on the dartboard so you, you can't make any decisions about the future and good investing involves being able to be virtually certain that the earnings per share of the company will be higher and you'll get a capital gain And if it does pay dividends, you'll get an increasing dividend over the future number of years. That's what good investing is all about. It's selecting the companies where you are most likely to get a high return over a period of time. This unfortunately isn't one, but I certainly wish them every success because any company that's doing the sort of work that they're doing, um, the more of them that there are that are successful in the world, the better it is for all of our long-term health and health keeping away from all the problems of pandemics and anything else that we may get. And uh, seeing as most Team Invest members are sort of, in my generation, baby boomers, uh, we applaud any good work being done by companies in health, but preferably with other people's money rather than ours.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. All right, that's genetic signatures. Um, And Evan, hope that answers your question. Too Many imponderables says... Howard, all right, let's, uh, let's summarise the first five stocks plus stock of the day. We began with Ingham's. Um, now, uh, it's, uh, of course, uh, being sold off today. Scott's saying perhaps that's a little overdone potential discount there. Nonetheless, he sees it as an avoid. It is being hit by these COVID problems in terms of the supply chain and its workforce. Uh, Howard also not interested. Our first stock pick there, Virtus Health. It is in the portfolio. Um, and it stays there because there's a hold from both uh, following a uh, takeover uh, potential there. The premium is built at the price, says Scott. Um, Howard's saying it's a stable business, but essentially no growth. Nonetheless, it's a hold. Pinnacle Investments. Uh, Howard's saying it um, does well when the market rises, but he's uh, seeing it as expensive. So, no, uh, he thinks you may be considered a cheaper price. Uh, Scott's got a hold on it uh once again he also thinks it's a little too expensive at this point mercury new zealand didn't come out well it's a sell from both uh, zero pricing power says scott not much to like uh, or his quote where capital goes to die perhaps uh howard uh, sees enormous disruption in this uh, sector so yeah it's uh it's a sell from both uh bwx the personal care products uh, company uh howard's saying earnings essentially going the wrong way he's avoiding it and uh Scott has a hold on it though does he says does have a lot of promise, essentially failed to deliver at this point. And just finally the genetic signatures, um, yeah, because um, Evan wanting to know about the metrics around evaluation, Scott's saying just too many unknowns, you're taking a bit of a bet on the future um, how it agrees a cell from both. All right, let's move on to our sixth stock, and this is Jervis Global. Um, Now, Trifki 17 from Twitter wanting to know about this. It's a battery metals company. He says, can you please review it? Uh, Ex-Glencore executives who are wanting to build a big business uh, has taken over from 2017. In fact, last July, it approved a $92 million capital for constructing a US mine with a process facility and commissioning penciled in for July of this year. Howard, how are you looking at this one?
0: Yeah, um, the company's losing money uh, heavily every year at the moment. So um, at the moment, it's a great idea perhaps and battery metals all sounds very positive. Of course, everybody in the world is thinking the same and rushing in to produce battery metals, which means we probably have a glut of them anyway. Um, But it's losing money, and the amount of money it's losing has increased in 2020 from 2019 and uh, 2018. It's a December reporting company, so its annual report will be out reasonably soon. Um, There's really nothing in its metrics that's to like about it, and the only possible positive you could say is it's run by people who uh, had built up a fairly big business or a very big business. Uh, In the case of Glencore, we, you know, so ex-Glencore executives, they hopefully know what they're doing. But mining at the best of times is not a great place to put your money because um, the money tends to be used for drilling holes, um, building plant, building equipment, and then if you're very lucky down the track selling the stuff for more than it cost you to do all those things beforehand, and then it's used up and you've got to start all over again. So mining companies tend to be hugely capital intensive, um, but not great uh, from a point of view of shareholders in them. And this one so far has never made a profit, so definitely a no from me.
1: Okay. Scott, do you agree?
2: Yeah, I do, unfortunately. Um, the, the, the challenge for, for investment analysis is you're trying to assign probabilities. And it doesn't mean that businesses like these can't potentially do well. Um, there would have been a time when Fortescue was 20 cents, and I would have absolutely said at that point, there is no investment grade basis for buying the shares. Now, in hindsight, that makes me look really stupid and I'm completely okay with that because the occasional winner doesn't justify a a kind of a carte blanche approach to, well, maybe one day they might, so maybe I should. And that's the problem with all this sort of stuff. So there is no current volume. Maybe, you know, there there is a deal, there is some money being raised, there is some commercialization planned, but you have to believe in a volume at a price, at a cost to a market, over an extended period of time, like literally, that's the matter of investment analysis, right? So, um, you know, if you, if you can if you can reasonably assess with a degree of confidence what that future production will look like in volume terms and then work out what the market might pay for that volume and then work out what it might cost them to get out of the ground, roll all those numbers up and discount them back. And by the way, if this sounds complex. That's the point, because right now you've got none of those available to you. The management will have a high degree of confidence because that's why they're in the business in the first place. They're desperately hoping it's true, and they may well, a la Twiggy, be able to do exactly that or not. And so, right now, you're saying, you know, is, is, there, a, is there a justified basis for an investment in this company? No, there, there is, in my view, clearly not, because there is no way to reasonably assess the future numbers and any of those metrics I've just talked about. And if you can't, then there's no way to actually invest. You can speculate all you like. You can gamble you, you know as much as you want to. and that's completely. If that's what you want to do, let's be really clear. If that's what you want to do, then you can absolutely do that and say, you know what, I'm going to have a flyer on this one. And if it goes to zero, who cares? If it's the next, tweet, next Fortescue, then great. Either of those things can be fine. I should disclose I own some Fortescue shares, by the way. Um, then that's great. But from an investment fundamentals basis, very, 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 very hard to say this is a buy.
1: Okay, so I'll say that as an avoid at this point, Uh, Scott, I'm taking you obviously didn't buy Fortescue (laughs) at 20 cents. Uh, Nonetheless, you are in it now. (laughs) Fair enough. Exactly. All right. Uh, Let's move on to Clean Away. Candice wanting to know about this one. Of course, it is the um, waste management uh, and environmental services company recently completed an acquisition of city-based Suez for around half a billion dollars. And, of course, this time last year was the surprise departure of Chief Executive Vic Bansell. That uh,
2: did hurt the share price. Scott, how are you looking at CleanAway today? So this is one of those businesses we talked about before, stable businesses and, and all that kind of stuff. CleanAway is almost the poster child for that. With the occasional volatility on the share price itself, the earnings growth since 2015 has been this really nice, slow, steady upward slide. A couple of years flat, then a bit of a jump, then a year flat, then another jump they're finding new ways of doing more business. So revenue is growing, profits growing. This is exactly what you'd want to see from a business that was uh, you know, a very stable, moderate growing business, if that's what the business that you're in. And waste management, generally speaking, is a good business to be in. It's getting better by the day, by the way, because the regulations around this continue to get tighter and tighter and tighter, which you would suggest, on a first-order perspective, we've bad for business, right? More government oversight, more red tape, more of this, more of that. That's true across the industry. But if you're one of the incumbents with scale and with size and with the ability to respond to those tougher and tougher regulations, you're absolutely in the box seat because it's very, very hard for a competitor to come and jump in, inside the business with you and be part of that. So that's it's one of those things where regulations actually become a barrier to entry for new players. And generally speaking, allow growth for existing players if they have the scale. It depends on the regulation, of course, and how tight it is. The challenge for CleanAway is, not for the business, but for shareholders, is it's currently trading on about 39 times earnings on my numbers, about 1.6% dividend yield. And so a lot is expected for a business that is growing moderately and, and you know, reasonably perfectly well, um, but, but you know, cash flow is doubled in about seven years. Um, that's not the sort of thing you'd be paying ordinarily a 39 times earnings for. So either you have to believe the future is much, much brighter and absorbs that extra multiple or you have to believe the market will keep paying these sort of multiples for this sort of business. So one of those situations where you always need to separate the business from the share price and say, do the analysis on the company itself and ask yourself, is the price worth paying? I don't see much to dislike about CleanAway. Probably the return on equity is pretty low. It's growing, but it's pretty low. So that'd be the one strike against the business itself. Moreover though, even if I owned the business and it was 39 times, if you're a seller, mm. you need a great price. 39 times earnings for, for a garbage collector is a great business, great price I should say. Um, for a pretty good business. I don't want to buy a away for 40 times earnings, though.
1: Mm, mm,
2: okay, all
1: right. Be selling.
0: Ha- Howard? Yeah, I mean, uh, the that pretty much the same sort of thing. You know, earnings are growing slowly, uh, but steadily, which is quite good. Return on equity is far too low to justify uh, e- e- expect, expecting greater returns on this company, and you're paying a roughly 40p ratio for it. Now, if interest rates in the U.S., do have three or four increases in the next year 18 months or whatever Mm. as um, the market seems to think at the moment you're not going to get a company with very slow growth like this and low return on equity trading on a pe of 40. so if you own it at the moment and uh, you're being offered a pe of 40 probably the best thing to do is to say thanks for the money Uh, i'll have the money and get out of it but um, you know uh, as scott says it would either have to do dramatically better than it's been doing up till now uh, or the share price is going to come tumbling down uh, based on the uh, PE being where it is at the moment. So uh, mm. definitely a no from us.
1: OK. All right. I'll take that as a sell from both. All right. Uh, to our eighth stock uh, should just uh, remind you, we've actually got to finish early. So I got about ten minutes to get through three uh, cyber resources. Um, now you don't have to mention tesla and people will get excited uh in fact this is the minerals and tech company it has detailed an agreement with tesla for an off-take agreement in fact to supply natural graphite from its uh facility in georgia in the us howard sire resources what are your thoughts
0: yeah um uh, you know the one in georgia is a bit positive the other one's in mozambique which has got lots of um uh, uh, problems with uh Um, people being killed all over the place at the moment. So that's not so positive. Uh, Company hasn't made a profit since it's been listed. It's got year after year after year of losses. So it may have signed an agreement with uh, Tesla, but unless it can run its business profitably, it's not an investment. And um, there's nothing in its metrics that makes me positive. So seeing as we need to keep this short, uh, Mm -hmm. a no from me.
1: Okay, all right. And, of course, uh, Scott, you just see that share price there in the past 12 months has run up hard just in the ma- last uh, couple of months.
2: Yeah, the last the last couple of weeks, really, in particular. And it does correlate very, very nicely with that five-letter word you mentioned, which is Tesla, of course, Andrew. Um, it, what, what I thought was fascinating is if you have a look at the... So so they mounted an offtake take group with Tesla. The share price shoots up, I want to say the best part, of 50%, right? So which sounds great. Then the company puts out, a couple of days later, an announcement. I'll just read this quickly, and then we'll move on. They say... Um, The offtake obligation is conditional on the parties agreeing to the final specifications, uh, dot, 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 uh, and achieving final qualification, additional satisfaction by no later than 31st of May 2025. The the agreement may also be terminated if production has not started by the 31st of May 2024, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Mm. you know, that that feels like a great deal for Tesla, right? (laughs) Tesla's got the opportunity, but not the obligation to take a lot of stuff from Syria if it decides it's right. And in that scenario, again, perfectly fine. But in that sentence alone one sentence maybe two i think no, just one um there, there are three opportunities for tesla to walk away from this one including the one that says two tesla's satisfaction which is frankly to get out of jail free card to beat them all because elon simply says yeah nah and then walks away now yeah. i'm sure the contract is a little bit different to that maybe this is a summary of that contract but at the end of the day this is one of those things where yes, there is some upside there and it's real potential upside. So I don't want to dismiss it. There is real potential upside if it becomes a constant supplier, if it generates a lot of volume, we may be able to look at this, look back at this and say, wow, you know, early 2022, great time to either shares. Look how much uh, you know product Tesla was taking in 2026, seven, eight, nine, thirty. But right now, this is one of those things. You don't pay fifty percent more because there is a chance that at some point in the future in three or four years, Tesla might be taking, you know, meaningful volumes um again that's that's in the speculation territory and again if you want to speculate on that feel mm. free knock yourself out you can't invest on that basis because there is simply no way to handicap those odds and if you are 50 percent more on that basis is just way too excitable so yep if it, if it comes off shells will say sir told you so and fair enough if you're if you're framing the odds of this if you're, if you're a bookmaker look honestly you know we shouldn't conflate gambling and, and investing but the idea of setting the odds for an outcome, what is the likely probable outcome of that? What are the chances of that outcome? If I get that outcome, how much will I get paid? It's not so different to setting a book. And so if you think about, it, if you're a bookmaker saying, hang on, I need I need to handicap those odds, you're probably not paying 50% more than you were the week before, I don't think. Yep. Um, just not enough volume, not enough sales, not enough profit to justify the current market cap I'd sell if it was me.
1: Okay, that is a sell then for Sira Resources. All right, our ninth stock. Dicker Data, it, uh, Kelvin wanting to know about this, distributes uh, computer software, hardware in Australia. Now, speaking of name dropping, uh, partners uh, Cisco, Intel,
2: Dell, Microsoft, and the like. Scott, Dicker Data. Very 1990s, Andrew, unless you're, unless you're partnering with Tesla, you're, right. you're not in the game at the moment, you know that. <laughs> Uh, unless you're lithium somewhere clean lithium in particular is impressive now look dicker is a great business they've done spectacularly well the growth has been amazing it's such a well-run business david dicker and the team there are just fantastic one of the best little businesses on the asx bar none really really love it we've had it as a buy before it's a hold for us now i'll keep this brief um, you're paying 40 times earnings for a business that has grown fantastically but is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the market opportunity left to grow into is simply not as big as it used to be you kind of have to do some really really clever maths to get to a meaningful market out performance from this price at that multiple if anyone can do it frankly it is dicker hence we're not selling um but I, I can't you can't buy dicker at 40 times earnings without having a meaningful additional market to grow into if they get there then that all bets are off right now it's just too expensive it's a hold for me
1: okay it is a hold uh, how do you agree
0: yeah uh, excellent business as, as scott has said a high return on equity manageable debt Earnings growing nicely, um, but uh, very expensive at the moment. I should mention as well that uh, I'm a director of Tip Group, and Tip Group owns a stake in a competitor of Decadata called Multimedia Technologies, which is also growing exceptionally fast with high return on equity and and, and, uh, close to zero debt. So uh, um, take it as you like. I'm obviously got some bias here, but uh, the business does look good. The share price looks too high
1: okay so what are you holding it though
0: yeah if you owned it i if i I don't own it but if i did own it i would hold it simply because uh, it's a great business and not that many great businesses around fair enough all
1: right finally tassel group toby wanted to know about this if you like salmon you like tassel you probably eat it uh a lot of m&a activity in the sector um recently too but of course you also got to factor in that this is a company that's a mercy of nature uh, and also environmentalists um, is having issues there just as far as its business in Tasmania in particular is concerned. Howard, how are you looking at Tassel?
0: Yeah, well, I'm never enthused, and Team Invest members are never enthused about things that are at the mercy of nature. Um, <laughs> and adding the environmentalists, it makes it worse. But um, earnings per share have not done well. Um, it was earning well over... Forty cents a share in 2017, over thirty cents a share in 2018 and 19 and 20, and now it's twenty-something cents a share. So the earnings are going backwards, and that's not the kind of business you want to be invested in because, in the end, the price of a share is its earnings per share times its PE. If the earnings per share are dropping, um, the only way you can get ahead is if the PE is rising, and I don't know why the PE would be rising if the earnings were dropping. So it's not on a very demanding PE at the moment, but too many things wrong with its metrics. Um, so no from me.
2: Okay, and Scott. Yeah, if you wanted to be positive on Tassel, you would take some sort of bounce back thesis. Uh, earnings in the most recent year, as Howard mentioned, are meaning for, leaning for below almost all of the previous eight years, I think, from memory. Um, cash flow has been all over the place, actually not bad, but not, not as good as it had been in 2016 and 17. This is a non-growth business thus far. It's trading on 13 times earnings. It doesn't need to grow that much to be market beating from this point. If you do the algebra, um, it can do okay. Big risks, as you mentioned, in terms of it's it's, a, it's farm salmon, which in theory is positive, but the chance of a of a particularly entire um, wipe out of its entire, um, what's it, prop? I don't know what you call it, block? What's a what's group official at school? Uh, the entire <laughs> yeah. farm anyway. Because don't forget, the this is not just, if you're farming, you're farming on land, very unusual for an airborne problem to become a big issue across a very, very wide range. Because this is farmed salmon in the, well, not exactly open ocean, but in the ocean, um, the, the conditions around that become really, really meaningful. You're basically fencing off some of the sea, which is fine, uh, but you can't control the circumstances and the environment around you. It's a really tough business. I, I, you know, it should be a good story. The idea of being able to grow farmed salmon, plenty available control of volume control the quality these are things you would try to do this is a great story stock you have to make sure the numbers support it they simply don't as i said if you want to take a bull case it might be hey if profit bounce back a little bit 13 times earnings maybe it falls to 10 or 11 times earnings that's a pretty low risk investment um, but it's not as low risk as it seems as i said because of those external concerns including uh, some of the environmental concerns and potential regulatory oversight changes that might happen so um, it's not super expensive i I just, I don't, I don't like the base business because of that risk, I've got to say. So it's not one I've ever owned. I don't think I'd ever own it. Purely financially, if you held it, I couldn't suggest rushing out and desperately selling because you probably know the risks and the price isn't super expensive. So mm. maybe it's a hold, um, but I certainly wouldn't buy it. Okay, fair enough.
1: That is Tassel. All right, well, let's uh, summarise second half of the show. We began with uh, Jervis Global, the battery metals company. Uh, how i say is losing... Money, nothing to like. It's a no. Also an avoid there from Scott saying no investment case. Uh, clean away. Um, Scott saying uh, good business, uh, well run, um, good scale. It's uh, But he's got a sell on it where the price is at the moment. Likewise for Howard uh, saying its return on equity is too low. Cyber uh, Resources, Howard pointing out no profit. So it's a no. Um, it does have this agreement with Tesla. Although Scott points out too many qualifications just there. He's also got a sell on it. Dicker Data, Um, Scott saying one of the best businesses on the ASX. A lot to like, but perhaps at this price, yeah, well, it's a hold. Um, Howard also agreeing, an excellent business. He's also got a hold on it. And finally there, Tassel Group. Um, EPS not done well, says Howard. It's a no. A no potential hold there from Scott saying not a growth business. It is tough business to be in, as we mentioned there, because you are certainly at the mercy of nature that is the show thanks to our two experts scott thanks for joining us from the motley fool and howard from team invest great to see you pleasure all right and uh, that is the show for now and any stocks you'd like us to cover flick us an email the call at osbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at osbiz tv and a reminder where to find those stocks we have in the calls portfolio you can head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio